0: Welcome to Simply By Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries, with founder and director Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now here's Dr. Bing. The story that you will hear today I think will be very interesting to you, and it may take you down some roads you've never thought of traveling before. Recently I saw the movie Jesus Revolution. And uh, my friend today was actually part of that in Southern California some years ago I came to know Christ not long after that movement started so I think you'll find his story interesting. Uh, Ed has been a friend since seminary days and we've remained friends and worked together in ministry and and still collaborate somewhat in ministry today and he's had a, a rich and fruitful life of ministry. he's written some books that you'll hear about uh, but I want you to uh, I want you to hear from his, his own story, with his own words, about how he came to know the Lord and what's been going on since then. So, welcome, Ed.
1: Hey, Charlie, it's good to be here. Really good to be here with you. Good to see you too.
0: <laughs> well, always good to see you. We always get to talking about a lot of different things. So, yeah, we do, don't we? <laughs> maybe we can way back, man, way maybe back. Yeah. Maybe we can be disciplined enough to get through this without <laughs> that's right. Uh, without doing a four-hour Joe Rogan thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't think we're as interesting as him, probably, but it depends on your perspective. Well, well, look, Ed, people want to get to know you um, presently. It might be good to start out with what you're doing at present. You work with the, after a long pastoral career, you're working with the group called ReCentered, which, yeah. which how would you define the
1: purpose of that? Well, ReCentered, uh, after 21 years at Church of the Open Door here in Southern California, and going through all that experience, and um, I really became, uh, I just became burdened with pastors and the loneliness of pastors. I really became burdened with unhealthy church leadership teams. Had a horrible experience my, myself. That you know that uh, where Judy and I lost a church we loved because uh, we didn't take care of leadership uh, relationships. So a couple of things were 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 really percolating with me, and I'd already begun to work with pastors, uh, younger pastors, and I really had a heart for them. But I just thought uh, I was with a group of guys that are really close. And I said, I want to do, they said, what do you want to do after church of the open door? I said, I want to help churches get back to what matters most to Jesus. And that's the great commission to make disciples and the great commandment to love one another. We're not loving one another. Well, as leaders, I'm talking about as leaders yeah. and, uh, I don't, you know, whatever people might think, I just know, cause I'm out there. Most churches are not making disciples. And uh, so that's what I do. I, I work with churches uh, every once in a while. It's really a joy. I get to work with a healthy church, and I just get to move them towards uh, a disciple-making culture, help them do that. Or uh, I'll, I'll work with a church that has a lot of tension going on, a lonely pastor, whatever that is. And uh, so I just <laughs> jump right in. It always reminds me, I was, a, I was an Army officer, and I went to jump school. And one of the things they said before you jumped was, no guts, no glory. And that's kind, yeah. of, that's kind of the way I feel with ReCentered. Um, well, I just jump right in with these lonely pastors, with these really, really tense leadership situations, but also help, uh, help, uh, help build a healthy leadership culture by loving one another well as leaders and help build a disciple-making culture, hopefully a, a layered disciple-making culture. Yeah, well it I know involves that involves every John every age group, you know.
0: You've been very effective at doing that, I think, and uh it just a well-suited ministry for you. But let's let's back it up. And um we I wetted people's curiosity about your salvation right. in Southern California. Um yeah. so tell us a little bit about that and um and did the Jesus movement movie reflect that very well that's a second question really but i really want to hear your story
1: yeah well the first would be my story i uh, i grew up in the in the southern end of the what's called the central valley the san joaquin valley in a town called bakersfield kind of a redneck town it's where all the okies stopped when they came and i grew up in that culture so country music and all that but i was a 60s kid and anything that was going on in the 60s i was a part of it i was uh judy my my wife judy and i were both we are both first generation christians neither one of us grew up in a christian home Mm -hmm. me jesus was simply half a cuss word that's really all Mm -hmm. all he meant to me and uh, i was a partier um i did uh fortunately for me i graduated from high school in 68 1968 which when i wrote a book about it called reborn to be wild i found that it's the most tumultuous year in american history think about that even including the civil war Oh, is that right yeah it was it, when the country's been most divided and so i was just an angry 17 18 year old and uh i had always been like in rapid learners I, was, I knew i was smart but man i just spun out i didn't care about anything and i really my only plan was that i was probably gonna get drafted go to vietnam get killed and um and I honestly didn't care. I just, I, I found nothing worth living for except partying. And I hung out and we, I mean, we just partied hard. I I, I flunked out of, uh, out of, I, I did, I flunked out of the, the little junior college there in Bakersfield because I, every time I go to the parking lot, somebody would be going water skiing or surfing and I go, Oh yeah, I can go. <laughs> I just was, I was an absolute mess. And then the Jesus movement came along. And uh what happened was we started getting these rumors that friends of ours uh, and then we started calling them Jesus freaks yeah and we started getting these rumors that friends of ours were uh and I had gone to young life in high school. I didn't like it much, but most of them because because of the girls that were there. that's why I went and I never <laughs> I don't remember a thing they ever said um but uh you know we had these friends who and then just like they were, we used to say they're falling like flies, man. Um, and, uh, so two of these guys, Phil Walker, who's now my brother-in-law and a guy, but a guy by the name of Bobby Rader, um, just stuck with me. They stuck with me and I was, I did everything I could to get them off my back. And, um, one day Bob, Bobby came over to see me after an unusually, I'll just put it this way. What, all you need to know is that we went to Tijuana and Bobby wasn't a part of that, but I just got back from Tijuana. Okay. And he said, uh, he said, well, yeah, wa- watch uh, Billy's on tonight. That's what we call Billy Graham we called him Billy. <laughs> and so I listened to a, a Billy, one of Billy Graham's crusades, uh, coming out of Anaheim in, uh, that was probably 69 by the end, something around there. I was out of high school and, um, and anyway, I went over to Bobby's house and I, and I, uh, I was going to drive over there and I remember, so I said, I got to talk to Bobby as this, and I drove over there and I said, ah, I'm not going to do this. And he was standing out in his front yard of all things. Mm-hmm. And I said, Hey Bob, I just need this Jesus. I don't know, man, I, I got to do something. And he took me over to a guy by the name of Keith Osborne and Keith Osborne was our, was our young life leader. And I think about it now, you know, as a pastor, it was nine o'clock at night. He comes driving in. He had been to some young life thing. He comes driving into his home and there there's Bobby and me on the front porch. And, uh, uh, we, he set me down on a curb and explained the gospel. And I trusted Christ that night and grace changed everything. I still remember him going to the part, you know, where the angels rejoice and he, said, you know, the, the angels were having a party tonight because of you. And I, and I was, was just so new to me, you know, was, everything was so new. So that was a Jesus movement and it was true revival. And, and what you don't, what people don't understand is, and this is what I tried to get across in reborn to be wild. The book that I wrote about it is that you don't know when you come to Christ in revival, you don't know it. You just think that's the way it is. Yeah. And uh, you know, so I came to Christ. Uh, three weeks later, <laughs> I was a young life leader at Bakersfield High School. Three hundred young life kids. I mean, I knew John three sixteen, and that was it. We just stayed a block ahead of the hounds. Uh, we were so ill-equipped, but we, uh, yeah, we just it was it was a revival. We would drive down to Southern California. Uh, interesting enough to come to church at the open door. The church oh, did the you pastor at that room. Room. Yeah, uh, who was pastor then? Jay Vernon McGee. And uh, I still remember guys told me I want—I couldn't get enough of the Bible, and I, we got every time I'd go to a church, I'd get kicked out because of long hair, and they didn't want us Jesus freaks. Finally, it was a Dallas grad, a guy by the name of Ted Stone, and, and I mean that's why I went to Dallas Seminary. That's all I knew, and Ted Stone. Uh, started discipling me but we would go down to uh southern california and join up with the uh, young life guys and with campus crusade guys and you know we'd do outrageous things we stand on the beach at huntington beach and point up and gather a crowd and uh while people were surfing and say what are you looking up there for we can tell you about who's up there <laughs> <laughs> go to the rose parade and and uh you know hand out tracks uh we, we were We were on fire, man, and I just couldn't get enough of the Bible. And then I still remember um, Ted, his name's Ted Stone. He's in heaven now, but um, I was looking for, and I had all these questions and I went the first time is back when they had overhead projectors. And I still remember, oh, Ted, man, he was in first Corinthians and he's putting Greek words up there. I was like, whoa, man, this is, I didn't, I didn't even know that existed. Wow. Uh, a friend of mine, Bobby, the guy that led me to Christ, he went to Biola to play baseball, and he took me to Biola, where, you know, where I taught there while I was here in Southern California, uh-huh. with Church at the Open Door. And I, remember, and I remember saying, there's a whole college about the Bible? <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe any of that. So, yeah, yeah. that's how I came to Christ. It was a Jesus movement, uh, and uh, through Young Life and Campus Crusade, that was our group, Yeah.
0: You know, I'll, I'll just interject here something, which is interesting, little side story. But uh, last month when I was in Africa, it was recommended to me that I have lunch with somebody that was an American missionary. So I arranged a lunch. I'd never met him. And so we met with his, uh, he and his wife. And his name's Tom Molinar. I told you this already. And yeah. uh, he was your first convert. He said he was you a, led him yeah. to the Lord. Yeah. Isn't that he a small word? I was just stunned to hear that over there.
1: Yeah. Tommy Molinar was, I went to high school with him and we hung out. Um, he was, he didn't run with my crowd. Tommy was far more subdued than I was, but I knew him. I grew up with him Mm -hmm. and I just saw him on the campus at the, at the junior college, uh, that I'd already flunked out of (laughs) anyway, but I was there, I was there, uh, doing evangelism that day and Tommy came by and, um, that's what we did. We would just go places and do evangelism. And I talked to him. I said, you ever think about Jesus? And he said, no, not really. I said, well, here's a tract." And he goes, yeah, you and Bobby. And those guys. I said, yeah, that's what we're doing. And I just gave him a tract. and I saw him the next day and he was in tears. And he said, yeah, last night in the shower, I read through it and I did it, man. I gave my life to Christ. So, Yeah, Tommy was the first guy, uh, quite a connection, quite a connection. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's amazing, and he's actively uh, sharing the gospel today in South Africa, so you ought to be very gratified about that. Oh, I am, I am, yeah. So it's good to always see somebody get converted and start sharing their faith right away, but at some point, you know, you have to get some more uh, ammunition, so to speak, uh, yeah. maturity and so forth. So where did you go from, from there? I know you worked for the forest service at some point. Was that
1: after you believe no, that was before that was before enduring. So, um, okay. I worked, uh, I worked for the forest service. I was a fireman. And the year before I came to Christ, I was on a suppression crew in the Kern Canyon. And, uh, I mean, we were out of control. I mean, it's just, it's a hard life being a, yeah being a fireman and um we partied all the time we'd drive into Bakersfield we'd drive back up Kern Canyon drunk i i just I, you know that was before i came to christ and then um even then the next summer uh i we they took us to uh we went to Fulton Ranger Station and uh that we, that's where we became a hotshot crew so uh i spent one year at rich Bar and it was during that summer after that summer and before the next fire season was when I came to Christ. And, uh, so I was already a young life leader and, uh, then went back to the forest service that combined two crews and we made up the Fulton hotshots. So, um, I fought fire with the Fulton hotshots for seven years. Um, uh, some seven fire seasons, some of those fire seasons were breveted uh, because I, once I got my life straightened out. I was able, I went back to school, never made a B. It's interesting. (laughs) Uh, And I went to UC Santa Barbara on an ROTC scholarship. Judy and I got married Mm -hmm. and uh, we were just, I can remember Ted asked us what we argued about and we said nothing. And he said, well, you will on the way home. (laughs) I still remember this. We were taught because neither one of us came from a Christian home. We just thought all problems, all problems solved. Right. Yeah. So on the way home, I told, I looked at Judy and, And I said, Ted actually thinks we're going to argue. She said, (laughs) we'll just pray. That was our one and one and only plan after we got married that lasted about three and a half minutes. But anyway, (laughs) uh, it was a great thing to be a brand new Christian. And, uh, so, uh, Judy and I moved up to Fulton and, um, and we lived at Fulton Ranger station. Our first daughter, Amy was born and I took her there, uh, And, uh, Judy used to cook for the Fulton (laughs) hotshots fascinating. And then I went back to UC Santa Barbara on an ROTC scholarship, went back and fought fire during the summers when I wasn't going to training, uh, because it was really, really good money. And then, um, we had Bob our second while I was at UC Santa Barbara. And then we headed to Germany and I was an armor officer and I served my time in a place called Ansbach Germany uh during the cold war mm-hmm. so you And heard- then we were involved in Officers Christian Fellowship there so just about all of my growth had come through Ted Stone who discipled me uh the discipleship of campus crusade they had that 10 basic lessons uh the discipleship of of uh young life and then uh when we got over to Germany uh, it was Officers Christian Fellowship, which was a just a, a small group Bible study. And um, we just discipled each other. Uh, you know, most of the chaplains weren't, uh, if they were believers, they weren't that mature. Yeah. So how long were you in the service? I was in for almost just about four years. And, um, and it was really the most difficult decision we ever made. It surprised us how much we loved the Army. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judy and I absolutely loved it. We loved the culture. Uh, we had probably the most fruitful discipleship, but especially evangelistic ministry we've ever had because, you know, we were in Germany. Uh, there was no, all we had was each other. Nobody had, there was no relatives. And so we did, you know, we did all Christmas together, all those things. And we had a really good OCF officers, Christian fellowship group. And, um, So we grew and then, uh, I resigned, uh, my commission and, uh, um, put in my, uh, I I put in, already put in my application to Dallas seminary and a couple of other places. And then we came back home and waited for the news. And I, uh, Judy wanted to go to Western seminary because she always loved the Northwest. Mm -hmm. And then, um, it's interesting. My first contact with Earl Rodmacher was welcoming me to, uh, Western seminary, uh, but by then I knew I was going to Dallas because that had always been our dream. So yeah. yeah, we went to Dallas and, uh, that's where we met. You know, I was there, we met down there in the weight room. Yeah. We met there lifting yeah. weights. Yeah. 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 That, that was, those were good days. Yeah, they were. Yeah. <laughs> so you
0: still get to enjoy the army vicariously through your son, who's done quite well making it a career. I'll let yeah, you talk know yes. about him a little bit.
1: Well, Bob is a, uh, he's a Colonel now, a full Colonel. He, he went to West point and, um, class of 99 out of West point. And, um, and then he was with the third infantry division and, you know, 9, 11 after 9, 11, he, that was his first time to war was with the third infantry division. If you remember the third infantry division went left, the Marines went right when we invaded Baghdad. Um, so he was with the third infantry division. He's an armor officer himself. And, um, so he was at war with the third infantry division all the way. And then he, uh, he was a captain by the time he went to war with them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, from there he went, he came out here to, um, uh, Fort Irwin here in Southern California. We were so thrilled because he was with the 11th Cav and Mm -hmm. they were not supposed to deploy. They were the, they were like, if you've watched top gun, uh, that, uh, Fort Irwin is a place. It's a top gun for tanks and infantry and stuff. And eleven, uh, the eleventh cab wasn't supposed to deploy. They're the ones that everybody fights. But he deployed again out of there with the eleventh cab. Went to Baghdad for a year, and then after that, we got a reprieve. He went to West Point to teach, and that was really really good. Um, from there, he went to anyway Fort Hood. Uh, and went back to war out of Fort hood. Went, that's the time he went to Afghanistan. So he's had three tours of, of war. Those are long years. Um, came back, uh, and, uh, went to Fort bending and then the army sent him to Oxford. Yeah. You know, he was at Oxford for three years. Those are wonderful years where, you know, he, 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 once again, he couldn't deploy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we didn't have to worry about him going to war and then, uh, Right out of Oxford, he deployed with the uh, First to Fourth Cav. He commanded First to Fourth Cavalry. Uh, interesting, it was Robert E. Lee's last federal. Uh, he resigned his his uh, army commission, went with from First to the Fourth Cav. Wow! So involved like, in the commander's office. Former commanders, one of them, Robert E. Lee. It's kind of interesting. Anyway, he went from there to Poland and Hungary and Germany, trained on some wow. of the same places I trained. Um, from there, he went to NATO. He was at NATO in Brussels for two years, and now he's at the Pentagon. So right we're glad right to have him here. home. Yeah, yeah
0: well, yeah. we're grateful for you and his service. Uh, I can say that for yeah. Him. Well,
1: mostly him. Nobody ever shot at me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just you, worked long hours. Yeah.
0: yeah, but you had to change his diapers. So <laughs>
1: yeah, I did. I did. You
0: yeah, yeah. in up. between, in between going to the field. Yeah. So you went to Dallas Seminary, and you graduated with your THM.
1: Yes. Right.
0: Yeah. And uh, did you plunge immediately into pastoral ministry?
1: I did right away. I just, I just had no other plan and um, an army buddy. Uh, so I was older than most of the guys because I was, I'd been in the army. And besides that, I spun out. I didn't go to college until I was late too. So I started, I think I started seminary at like 33. Um, no, no, younger than that, maybe 29. Anyway, I was 35 when I graduated and, uh, and I had an army buddy in Detroit and, uh, there was a church up there and I went up there and, uh, you know, I did the whole candidating thing. I knew nothing, mm-hmm. Charlie. I mean, I knew nothing about church. I had my Jesus movement church, uh, and then officers, Christian fellowship. And suddenly, um, it was in Detroit, Michigan, it was Midwest. So I didn't get that culture. It was real formal for me. Yeah. It was, it was a denominational church. And anyway, we were oil and oil and water and um learned a lot of lessons, made a lot of mistakes. But uh one good thing came out of that was uh Kevin Butcher and I, I didn't hardly know him at all during seminary, but he was in Kokomo. Uh he no, he was down in down by Taylor University. Anyway, that's where we got to know each other again. Mm-hmm. And then that's where we like hooked up with you again in the organization we were working for back then. Yeah. So, but I was only three years there. And then that's when we went to Oregon and it was kind of it was most pretty much a church plant when I went to Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, And uh, that was the church that we loved. Remember you came and spoke there many times. Yeah. And uh, I just thought this is where I'm going to raise my kids. And uh, that's where I got this thing about uh, the, well, first of all, discipleship that came from Howard Hendricks. I just knew I was going to be a disciple maker. And then, um, oh, by the way, we also had Celia while well, I was in Dallas. So that way of three now, and then, um and nine grandchildren. So uh yeah. then we went to, when we left, it was real painful when we left uh, the, the church in Oregon. And it was all because we didn't pay attention to our leadership relationships. And that's yeah. where I get this passion for that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then from there, I went to, you know, the famous church, at the open door uh yeah. down in Southern California I had just split over a subject that you and I are it's close to both of our hearts. I had split over the issue of Lordship salvation.
0: Yeah. And I hate to admit Since, that I, the the person who was in charge of that split, I guess at pastor at the time was a friend of mine in Bible college. But yes,
1: I remember I was talking about that. Yeah. You know, I've never met him, uh, but, uh, so I came to church at the open door and it was, it was, you know, there were only 120 people and you've been there, you've seen yeah. the acreage and all that. Yeah, so it was really, really, really tense. Those first four years were tough because we were trying to bring change. And uh, fortunately for me, uh, we had really, really good elders. And, um, and uh, the church was wounded and, and Judy and I were wounded. It, it's just amazing that we trusted each other but we did. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was a one time I still remember we were flying back up to Oregon and I looked at Judy because Judy did not want to leave the Northwest. We had a grandson there. We left a grandson there. Uh And, um, so I was really trying to be careful and I went down and we were flying home after a week down here. Um, and we're, I said, well, sweetie, what do you think? And she said, I think we're called. And it's the only time I could ever say it. I felt called to do mm-hmm. that. So we knew what we were getting into and it took a long time to turn the church around, but uh, what healed the church, um, I can't take any credit for what healed the church. I thought I was doing all the right things. I, I launched discipleship. We launched small groups. All of that was a war, you know, uh, cause it was new to everybody and, um, and they, and they still kind of wanted to be the famous church. No. um yeah.
0: so this church had at one time how big had it been
1: oh it was four thousand when it was downtown, 4, 000, down McGee. to
0: 120 people when you got there
1: it's down to 120 because it split twice there was a good friend of ours who had a moral failure you remember that yeah and uh by the way his wife became my administrative assistant for 20 years wonderful lady his ex-wife um and then the next guy came in your friend from uh from uh bible college and he told him that he wasn't a Lordship Salvation guy, but he was. Yeah, and uh, since I had written on it, and since I had articles published by the same, in you know, the same group you were involved with, um, they called me, and and we went down there, and uh, but it was down to 120 people, really, really divided. Um, pretty old. I'd say the average age was probably 65. Mm-hmm. Um, sweet people. Uh, But they really had no other category except for the way things had been downtown, you know, when they had Jayburn and McGee and everything was rocking and rolling.
0: Yeah, they used to be downtown
1: before you moved out to the
0: country in that beautiful campus.
1: Yeah. So I I was the the friend of ours was the one who moved uh, the church up there in 85. In fact, um, uh, Jayburn McGee preached his very last sermon out there on that lawn in front of the gym. You can picture that, right? Yeah. His very last sermon there. and And it was on... Uh, I'm going to tell you about the most dangerous doctrine in the world today. It's called Lordship Salvation. That was his last sermon. That was his last sermon. How about it that? was his last sermon and good for him. Good for That's him. That's good. Yeah. So when, just to jump ahead and give people
0: an idea, some perspective, when you retired, uh, a few years ago, how many were going to the church?
1: Oh, we had about 600, uh, but it, what was really interesting was how unimportant that was. Yeah. You know? Uh, because we had true community. We just had sweet. We have still today. I hand over to a man named Dave Anderson. He's been a real good steward of the church, but obviously we emphasized grace, the gospel of grace. I wrote discipleship materials. We started using that. We wrote discipleship into every job description. And uh, so we had a really, really healthy, sweet community of 600. We sent missionaries again. Um, it was, uh, it you know, it was a totally act of God and, and uh but it it was healthy and and it still remains healthy, really, really healthy. Great community, a lot of discipleship, layered discipleship, junior hires discipling grade school kids, high school kids discipling junior hires. So you just love that part of it. And uh the the leaders are you know what I'm doing with recentered was what I did there. We're just honest and open and vulnerable. And we say what we mean. And, um, and we don't put up with any of the, you know, Jesus jukes that people that, that Christian leaders will use to get their way. We just don't put up with it. So, um, yeah, but I, what healed the church, uh, four years in, uh, was that I almost died. Yeah. Tell that story.
0: Um, that's what your book was about. Yeah. uh, When God breaks your heart. Yeah. Excellent
1: book. Yeah. So I was gone. I, I got it in 2000. Um, I have a chronic leukemia. And for you know it's 23 years later, and I'm still alive, very thankful. Um, but uh, it was it was stage four, uh, cutaneous T-cell lymphoma, probably an Agent Orange thing, because we used to spray Agent Orange in the Forest Service. And um, so I was gone for a year. And what the Holy Spirit did during that year was, you know the way it can be in a divided church? that really everybody kind of w- really wants to be together. The average person doesn't really care about the things that everybody's arguing over. And what we found was while I was gone, people just stood up to those dividers and said, look, Ed's our pastor. We're going to be a church. We're moving this way. Mm-hmm. And and that was a real big movement of God. I, I you know, I, I write about it. it uh, I still remember I uh, came back, the first day back after being gone for so long, I said, um, For those of you who are new, my name's Ed Underwood, and I'm still the pastor of Church of the Open Door. It's a standing ovation. And I, just one of those moments in your life. No, you know. That's amazing.
0: But yeah. you had um, actually given up on God in that. Illness.
1: Oh, oh, at the beginning? Oh, you bet I did. Oh, yeah. And I, and I tell the story about it. Um, yeah, physical suffering is a real thing. Mm -hmm. and um but uh, the the disease that i have cutaneous t-cell lymphoma the number one reason for death with this is suicide oh really yeah because it's just so miserable it's like yet it's like the worst case of poison oak you've ever had with the worst sunburn you've ever had put together and (laughs) and you you can't keep your skin on Hmm. and um so they were just trying everything i was going to usc medical center and uh Really, really good doctors there. First, they saved me li- my life. The night I almost died. And then um, since then, you know, they've tuned me up, and I don't take as many meds as I used to. But, yeah, I I still remember the night that it happened. Judy said, let's pray. I said, I'm not going to pray. I'm yeah. not going to pray. And she said, why? I, and I said, you can't tell me that God's my father. I'm a father. Look at me. And my skin was coming off. I just looked like a I a ghoulish And I said, look at me, Judy, you can't tell me he loves me. And then he lets this happen to me. I'll never forget what she did. She turned over and she said, all right, God, we're mad at you tonight. (laughs) (laughs) And the next morning she went to work and I, I, I was so angry that I had thrown my Bible into the corner. And the next morning I said, okay, I'm I'm just going to try this. I know the whole. you know, I knew I wasn't giving up, but just felt like it. And, I turned to John 11 and, and it was, that's what the book's about, how John 11, um, and the experience, not of Lazarus, but of Mary and Martha, mm-hmm. um, really, really, uh, turned my, uh, turned me around. And, I uh, I can still remember once I got straightened out again and started, uh, I now was, and then I was just writing blogs. You might've even been, I'm, I was writing emails to people to pray for me. You might even have been on that distribution. I think you I were. Think I was, yes. Just a really good friends, and um, and then was the night that I almost died, that guy Charlie White, who was a past, who, uh, retired pastor, he walked into my room and said, uh, "Please let Ed live and serve." And I'm sure you got that e- email, Judy Kekoris, my secretary, sent around the world. And we figured out that night about ten thousand people were praying that one sentence prayer, and uh, I'm convinced that's what saved my life. And, um, anyway, so, you know, I, I slowly gained my health back. I slowly was able to get off the meds and, um, church at the open door. I was working with the guys at true face. They were really good friends of mine and they were coming up with all these great ideas of how, how to build community and how to build leadership unity. And, um, everything they thought of, I put into uh, church at the open door. They used to tell me you're the laboratory where we do true face. (laughs) <laughs> we were. Um, so we had really fruitful ministry there. We loved it. I would say the last 15 years were an absolute joy. I, you know, it's just, uh, every pastor knows this, you know, I mean we still had problems and inappropriate people and everything, but the last 15 years they're really a joy. And that's part of my heart with what I'm doing right now. I'd love to see more pastors get to live that way.
0: Yeah. Not many of them are very happy in their ministry.
1: No, or, or are they very safe, which is sad. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that is sad. So g- g- before we go on and talk about your ministry today, just can you summarize what is it that you saw in John chapter 11 that brought you back to the Lord? He, you had given up on him, but he didn't give up on you. Judy didn't give up on God. Uh, no, uh, he's God's uh, great, and, and,
1: and guys like you and Kevin and all the people that were praying for me, um, well, what happened in John eleven? A couple of things. The the first thing that really hit me was because I remember when I was almost the night when I was dying before Charlie came in, had all these people came in and they they were praying these prayers, and they were theologically good, nice prayers. You know what I mean? But you know they'd be saying things like "Ed knows you're sovereign" and it just really like they'd pass any theological sniff test. And I and my son had come down from Fort Benning, my my, uh, our youngest was a sophomore in high school, Judy's there. And I just remember thinking I'm dying here. Somebody asking for something. And that's when Charlie came in and actually asked. And so what, what initially attracted me was that they knew, they knew that Lazarus was dying and they send a message to jesus who was in you know he's in uh in Paris at the time and and basically a report and that was the first thing that got my attention i said that that's not a prayer request that's a report that's a report and um and then uh when he came when he finally comes walking in too late seemed to them both sisters say the same thing to to him if you had been here my brother would not have died And and that was my problem. I'm, I'm I. They're just saying, and I'm sure they felt the way I felt. I felt like all I've ever done is serve you. There's got to be some guys in you know that are selling crack somewhere. You could give this to. Um, <laughs> you got to give it to me. I'm I one of the good ones. But they are saying the same thing. You know, Jesus used to stay at their house mm-hmm. when he would come to Jerusalem. So. They were his closest friends. And then the other thing where John is real careful to tell us in the beginning that Jesus loved them. Mm -hmm. So the rest of the story is built off that, but they both uh, first Martha and then Mary, they both say the same thing. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And, and I said, look, they stole my line. And then I got to John 1140. When Jesus said, have I not told you, and it's in the imperfect tense, which means a lot to us who know Greek, meaning this is something that he told them over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. And it was that sentence that I was just clinging to. You know, when I'm going in for all the treatments, when I'm looking ghoulish, and, uh, you know, I had a lot of bad days after that. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I just continued to send out these prayer letters. And I had all this stuff in it and I was working for, um, the Bruce Wilkinson at the time doing uh walkthrough I was, mm-hmm. te- I was teaching walkthroughs. And I had asked Bruce to disciple me as I came, took on this assignment at uh, church of the open door. And he did, and he stayed with me. And then he knew I got sick and I was sending him the, these newsletters. Uh, I mean, these prayer requests and he said, you should make a book out of this. Mm-hmm. And I remember I wrote him back and I said, easy for you to say, prayer of JBS, man. <laughs> I don't know how to write a book. And that's when he got me in touch with uh, his agent. And that's how, I, that's how I wrote When God Breaks Your Heart. Yeah, That's yeah. Well,
0: an excellent book. Excellent story in there. You, one of your takeaways, it seems, from that story in John 11 was that uh, Jesus God doesn't need our reports. He needs our prayer
1: requests. Exactly. He's asking yeah. him. And yeah. that's yeah.
0: what uh, your friend did. He asked you to if.
1: God let you live. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Charlie's in heaven now, but yeah, his soul that and that same prayer just about everywhere you've been in audiences, I always end the same way. I said, "Please pray that I can uh, live and serve." Yeah, <laughs> I'm a shameless solicitor of prayer.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> he tells us to ask, so we should. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I really enjoyed the book, and then you wrote another book called "Reborn to Be Wild," which is about
1: your your testimony in those Jesus days, Jesus born yeah. days. Yeah. And if you read it, it's nothing like the Jesus revolution movie at all. Um, uh, ju- for Judy and me, ours was just a different experience than that. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, I didn't see the Jesus revolution. Judy went to see it and she told me about it. And friends of mine uh, from the Jesus movement went to see it and they thought yeah. it was okay. Uh, I knew about Lonnie Frisbee. Everybody knew about Lonnie Frisbee. Mm. He was a guy on the streets of Hollywood that kind of started the whole thing. And then we all knew about Chuck Smith and, um, there's those iconic pictures of the baptisms, you know, at Corona Del Mar, all the kids on the cliff and Chuck Smith is baptizing people. That just wasn't the part of the Jesus movement, um, that I was in. I was in the part of the Jesus movement that was more, um, it was more young life. Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, Moody Bible Institute guys, Dallas Seminary guys. So sure. uh, Hal Lindsay had the JC Light and Power Company that it was a big, big ministry at UCLA. Mm-hmm. And and it was huge, huge, mm-hmm. huge, huge, huge in Southern California. And then we, uh, there was a uh, campus crusade. Now crew, they had a thing up at Arrowhead called the village and we would go there a lot and we'd hear great speakers, who would come in. Um, so my part of the, of the Jesus movement, we knew who Chuck Smith was. We knew who Lonnie Frisbee was, but, um, that was that. So this was their story, which was a great story, I think. Um, but, uh, we just weren't, we weren't a part of that. We never were a part of the Calvary chapels, which grew out of, um, which grew out of it. Ours was, Mostly uh, Moody Bible Institute guys, Young Life guys, and Dallas Seminary guys. So the ripple and, effect from what they started built yep, out yep. to other arenas. Yeah, it, was too, it was true revival. Plus ours, even though, I mean, we had our rock concerts and we had our music that we loved and all that. But uh, the reason I wrote Reborn to be Wild was I read a couple of historical uh, analyses of the Jesus movement, and they totally missed it. It was all discipleship. It was all mm-hmm. discipleship. That was that was all I remember. I do remember wonderful meetings mm-hmm. at Arrowhead and up at Hume Lake, but um that wasn't where it was. I you know, like like I said, I'd been to Christian three weeks. I was leading a Young Life Club. And then we Young Life has its campaigner thing, which is a serious Bible study. So we just cut our teeth mm-hmm. doing discipleship.
0: Yeah. So that you've written that book, Reborn to Be Wild, and what is the trail about you? another book you've written?
1: Oh, the trail uh was uh it's an allegory. And and so uh uh my my agent a guy named Don Jacobson, it was his idea. I think it was a pretty good idea. It didn't sell worth it didn't sell anything. So it couldn't couldn't be that good of an idea. Uh but anyway, I had I was I was doing a series on how to know God's will, primarily from the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Just these one liners that I was teaching. Um you know, when I do a Bible conference somewhere, uh, I was teaching at Ecole Bible College. I was teaching how to know God's will. And uh the other thing going on, uh, since I worked for the Forest Service, uh, the Golden Trout wilderness is like my backyard. I oh, know boy. it like yeah. I know it like the back of my hand. And what I would do with our staff every year is I would take them up to the golden trout to back, the back golden trout. Yeah, we'd backpack in and would fish for golden trout. Mm. But you know, these are all—we had a couple of guys who were missionaries staying on campus, and they knew how to take care of themselves. But these are all city guys, and what was—and yeah. so it's a—you know—you've been there. You're a hunter. You know what it's like. So uh, you get these guys out in the wilderness, and they know that without you, they're dead. <laughs> they can't build a fire. Oh boy! They, I mean, they can't read a they can't read a map or a compass. So you spend. So I you found kind of it, babysitting. I know. Yeah. So I just found it a great place to do discipleship uh, because you really have their attention. You had all sorts of. So the idea with the trail was that um, I would be an old pastor who had worked for the Forest Service, and uh, I would take a couple, a brand new. Christian couple up to the golden trout wilderness and talk them through these lessons that I had learned. Then we'd get burned over by a fire and all that. I enjoyed writing the book mm-hmm. and, uh, it really, I mean, just had, just had a letter the other day from a lady that said, uh, m- my husband wants more copies. And I said, sorry, out of print. I don't that have is. any left. So yeah. That's a shame. Yeah. Maybe, maybe people can
0: find a copy somewhere, use bookstores or use, yeah, probably. use books yeah. on Amazon. Even. Yeah.
1: Or just wait. I'm writing a series, now, uh, uh, just a regular series on firefighting, um, but has nothing to do with recentered. So, but mm-hmm. it's going to be uh, lessons of manhood uh, taught on the fire line. So that, that really was where I grew up. I mean, yeah. that's one of the things God used uh, the Forest Service for, was mm-hmm. that it got me away from this wild crowd I was running with. And I was around real men for the first time in my life. Now, of course, it was still a party, you know, thing. We we would still drink and but we were up in the mountains, you know. You can only do so much. Yeah. A you lot know, of responsibility. Pine, but that you can't get in any more trouble than that. And <laughs> so that was kind of where I, I got my head a little bit together where I just wasn't always partying. And um and then, you know, and then uh young life and all that. Um, that's where I heard the gospel.
0: Well, your emphasis on discipleship, uh, is, is much needed and you've, you're writing some materials on that too, right?
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm rewriting beginning in grace. I wrote it in 97 and, uh, our goal is that it'll be, it's seven chapters, Mm -hmm. just the basics, how to know you're a Christian, uh, how to know, uh, your resources in Christ, your identity in Christ. Uh, what's the purpose of your salvation off of Ephesians two 10, Galatians two 20 saved by faith. You live by faith. Um, and then it, uh, finishes off. It tries to get a person to the point where they understand that the first baby step of uh, following Jesus is baptism. So we try to get them from uh, there to there. And so, uh, I'm rewriting it, polishing it up a little, it's, you know, 97, it's dated. Yeah. So, um, um, I'm excited about it. it can, it'll be uh, our goal is to have it on Amazon um, by uh, September or uh, on recentergroup.com is where people can find out all about it too. Okay. So look for Beginning in
0: Grace to come up on Amazon.
1: Right. Beginning yeah. in Grace. Yeah. yeah,
0: that'll be good. Um, well, you really committed to in your recentered ministry to helping pastors, especially or church governments as well. Yeah. Um, in the state of the just uh make might close with a brief discussion about the state of the church and its pastors and how pastors are treated and how pastors are feeling. I'm sure you have more insight than most people on that.
1: Yeah, Charlie, well well, you know too. You you travel around, you know pastors, but it it absolutely breaks your heart. It just breaks your heart. There are people just like you and me. You know, just like you and your bride and Judy and me. We gave up our entire life uh to go follow Jesus and be a pastor. Mm -hmm. And it's such a waste. Think about this. So I went to Dallas, you and I both went to Dallas seminary over whatever, you know, all those decades, people have given millions and millions and millions of dollars to Dallas seminary. Right. Those professors who touched our lives, they could all be making a lot more money doing something else. Right. Then we go to churches where like, you know, where people have been a part of that church. They've probably spent thousands or millions on, on those. Um, and then we have all these programs and pressures and all those things. And the average pastor in America lasts three years before, before they move on and they can say what they want to say. It's a you know, different philosophy of ministry, theological difference. It's always about relationships. So what I am, what I'm finding is that, that we have a lot of problems in the way we do leadership in the church. We do it in such a way that there's a lot of politicking. Uh, there's a lot of talking that should be spoken to one another, but but instead it's about one another. And pastors are just worn out. I mean, they're absolutely worn out and hopeless. And then what happens is, it's it's, it's like, I I call it high school dating. It's like high school dating. So uh, the pastor wants to leave. So he starts talking to three or four different churches, you know, and it's kind of like asking a girl to the prom. And he knows the one that he wants to go to, but he's going to keep these other three ready. And then churches need a new pastor and they do the same thing. And they, so finally they find somebody and everybody's euphoric. The, the pastoral couple comes in and go. This is exactly what we've been looking for, and the church said, "This is our couple. This is them." Three years later, the same stuff happened, and it's because we're not paying attention to loving one another well. And uh, it to me it's a uh, most pastors. Well, you know, all you got to do is read Barna. He's got all the statistics, and they're jarring. Fifty percent of all pastors who have been pastors for more than five years say that if there's anything else they could do to earn a living, they would. Wow. Amazing. I, and it, and I believe that I've been in just the uh, sad, sad situations. And uh, sometimes we have a success. Uh, we've had a lot of success. Uh, sometimes it's just been sad. It's been, you know, I've been, you know, by the time I get through, I, I don't just, I don't have a, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a consultant. I, I don't have a formula. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just get into their lives, into the lives of the leaders and try to help. But, uh, you know, I'm sure you feel this about some of the men you work with, the young men you work with in Africa, pretty soon they're like your kids. Yeah. And, uh, and then when they, you know, they just get so abused or so discouraged and they tap out, it can really, but we have good stories to tell too. Really, really good stories of churches that were almost going to split. And now are just are doing great and they're healthy. And so, yeah, but that's what I want to do. That's what Judy yeah. and I are doing with our life now. We're, well,
0: I think you have a real gift for that from what I what I hear. You re- really have a gift in uh, discerning where people are coming from, where they should be going, what their motives are. And uh, maybe somebody's listening here and their church is going through a yeah. time they could contact you. We'll put all that contact information. Yeah, in. please. Uh, yeah,
1: please do. You know, and I, I never know exactly what I'm, till I, what I'm going to do till I talk with you.
0: Well, I'm sure everything's uh, unique. Yeah. Every situation. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Well, Ed, um, it's called ReCentered.
0: is what you're devoting your life to now. Yeah. Re- and-
1: ReCenteredGroup.com. Re-centered group.com. Yeah. Yeah. yeah ReCenteredGroup.com. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. We'll put that information in the text.
0: People will have it. So, and also you're working with the free grace Alliance, which we're happy to see you. I do am.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I'm on the board. Um, Thanks. The only way I got hooked in was, everybody needs to know this, um, Charlie called me and he said, will you will you speak at our conference? And I said, yeah, but I don't want to be involved. <laughs> and really, it was in Dallas. I only went to that conference for two reasons. One is, I could stay with one of my best friends, uh, Dave Burchett, uh, who's now on the board of ReCentered. And two, I got to see Charlie. I hadn't seen Charlie for a long time. <laughs> uh, so when I got there, I realized hey i really want to be a part of this so yeah i'm working with free grace alliance i'm on the board um and um and i believe in what we do and yeah. uh so thanks for launching that buddy really thanks oh, for launching well that. Yeah. I,
0: you know whatever by god's grace but you've, it been, is, you've yeah. been a champion of grace all your life and uh quite a spokesman it's reflected in your writing and your speaking and people i'm sure can access your sermons too from uh, church of the open door i'm sure Probably they'll uh, think of archived sermons.
1: Yeah, we, we've got some archived ones on our website. Not so much from Church of the Open Door, but your website um, offers a lot of teaching and outlines. Oh yeah, yeah, it's, so it's all over. Yeah. And you know, if a pastor calls me and says, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm teaching Mark," I'll just and and I want to teach it from a grace perspective. I just send him all my notes. You know, yeah, um, you know, I I have no desire to be famous. And no desire to get credit. That's a pretty, that's a pretty good place to live. So, yeah, and is. when you're 73, what, what else do you have to do except just try to help people? So, yeah, amen. We'll
0: give God the credit anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah. <clears throat> we all work for the same boss. Yeah, we do. We yeah, do. Absolutely. Yeah. He's, he's a good boss. He's really <laughs> a good boss. Yeah. He is good. Yeah. yeah. Well, give people some hope for if they're going through a real difficult time as pastor or as you did with your illness, uh, give a final word of hope for them.
1: Yeah, what I would say is if you're a pastor and you're struggling along two things, one is or or if you're sick and you know it's a diagnosis or your marriage just whatever it is, just remember grace takes the long view. Hmm. Grace takes the long view. And John 11:40, if you believe Just trust God for today, trust him for tomorrow. And those of you who are sick, I know exactly how it feels. If you don't know, you're going to wake up the next day. Mm. And I just remember thinking I'm as alive today as anybody. So I'm going to trust him with this day. Mm. And then also for those of you who are pastors, if you're lonely, if you don't feel safe, it's probably because you're not. Um, I know I can help you. I know I can help you. And I've helped some by saying, you know, you're just in a bad place. It doesn't seem like it's ever going to get any better. Let's have a healthy exit. But most of the time, I want to help them establish a good culture. So um, the main thing I would say is grace takes a long view, and there's always hope with Jesus. You know, people ask me, since I've been doing this, Charlie, they'll say, how do you feel about the church? Well, the first thing I'm going to say is the church is pretty jacked up. It Mm -hmm. just is. Second thing I would say is, I love the church more now than I ever did before. Hmm. Because man, when healthy leaders are leading um, from the strength, uh, from the influence of their person and not the power of their position, and when they're influencing others by making disciples and you get that going, man, man, it's like the book of Acts nothing can stand against it nothing can stand against the church of jesus christ
0: amen Ed, those are good words to end with <laughs> we appreciate those <laughs> and it kind of gives people insights into your your wisdom of dealing with these issues and hopefully uh, if they have some issues they can get a hold of you so thanks, yeah, for, being thanks yeah. for being with us here thanks for being with
1: us Talking, good talking with you charlie bye bye yeah.
0: well you've heard Ed's story and he happened to come in a sweep of uh, what is called the Jesus movement during a particular time in history. But if you're not sure about where you're going to spend eternity, think about some of the things he said, how his life has more than radically changed. It's hard to imagine somebody's life could be so different from what it started with And in his teenage years in the 60s. Uh, and it's all wrapped up in the gospel of Jesus Christ who came, died, who loved us died for our sins, rose from the dead, so that if we trust in him and not our own doing, not our own performance, not our own good deeds, not our own law-keeping, rule-keeping, but we trust in him and him alone, we can live forever with him. That's the hope that we have. So thanks for listening. Give us a comment. Give us a rating. Share this podcast with others. There's some pastors and people that need to hear this. Just share it with others. You can you can just copy the link and share it and hope to hear from you. God bless until all here.